Would you like to retire with enough? My name is Peter Guidry, and I am the host of the Retiring with Enough podcast. Good morning, podcast people. Today we'll be discussing a question that receives both personal and public thought and discussion, and that is, do you need a financial advisor? So let's see if we can sort this out. First, we'll hear from Donald Rumsfeld, who is the former U.S. Secretary of Defense, who said, think ahead. Don't let day-to-day operations drive out planning. Pretty good advice. I know that right off the bat, everyone would think that me being a financial advisor, that the answer to the question of whether everyone needs a financial advisor would be a resounding yes. But because I don't view my CRPC designation as a source of income and I'm not relying on advisor income for living expenses, then I feel like I I can be much more honest in my responses. And my responses may surprise you. Previously, I've done both blogs and podcasts on financial advisors and questions to ask a potential advisor before engagement. If you're interested in these, you can see Engaging Advisors, Alphabet Soup, Part 1, Engaging Advisors, Alphabet Soup, Part 2, and Engaging Advisors, 20 Questions. In these blogs and podcasts, I was both complimentary and critical of financial advisors. But, kind of a disclaimer, most, but not all, financial advisors are hardworking, honest individuals. But everyone has to remember that no one is going to take better care of us than us. And human nature dictates that financial advisors may not always act in the client's best interest, especially when the client's best interest conflicts with the advisor's best interest. These blogs and podcasts also discussed the difference between the fiduciary standard and the suitability standard. Again, you can refer back to the blogs and podcasts for the definition of some of these terms, but just generally, the fiduciary standard means that an advisor must always act in the best interest of a client, whereas the suitability standard means that an advisor only has to provide an investment that is suitable for that particular client. We also mentioned in the blogs and podcasts that the same advisors may either act as a fiduciary or a non-fiduciary advisor in different situations. So a registered investment advisor may wear different hats and for one particular situation or one particular investment, an advisor may put on his fiduciary hat and say, yes, I'm acting in your best interest for this particular situation. But in a different situation, he may take off his fiduciary hat, put on the non-fiduciary hat, and say, this may not absolutely be in your best interest, but this is a suitable investment for you. So this way, advisors can flip back and forth between fiduciary and non-fiduciary situations and investments and still remain within legal bounds. For most consumer clients... These situations are very confusing and frustrating, and these frustrations are expressed in the very low confidence and low trust grades the advisor industry currently experiences. 
So I guess the first question that most people would have is that I state that I am a chartered retirement planning counselor, yet I also state that I'm uncompensated in this regard. And so I guess most people would want to know, well, have you ever personally used a financial advisor and what were my personal thoughts and my experiences? Good question. So the answers would be yes, yes, and yes. Yes, I am a chartered retirement planning counselor. Yes, I am uncompensated. And yes, I have used both financial advisors and financial planners in the past and have had good experiences with both. My current financial planner has given me excellent advice that has saved me money and also saved me a lot of time and I felt has been very honest and forthright in our discussions and interactions. People tend to use the term financial advisor and financial planner interchangeably, but actually financial advisors and financial planners are two separate entities. Financial planners are concerned primarily with helping clients reach their financial goals, while the term financial advisor encompasses planners, as well as stockbrokers, insurance agents, estate planners, bankers, and accountants. So my podcast title is a bit of a misnomer because almost every person contracts a financial advisor at some point to help with insurance, banking, or stock investing needs. The insurance agent that provides your life insurance is usually considered to be a financial advisor and may also provide annuities or other insurance products. Bankers provide savings and insurance vehicles also. But in this particular podcast, we're going to zero in on the financial advisor space occupied by financial and retirement planners. Question one, does a financial planner provide value? And what value does a financial planner provide? First, a financial planner can provide specialized knowledge. And that's probably the greatest asset of financial planners because this specialized knowledge is used in areas unfamiliar to most people. Most consumers are not well versed in the details of financial planning such as portfolio construction, retirement planning, asset location, asset allocation, etc. A good financial planner can save you lots of time not only in the implementation of the actual financial plan but also the process of initiating, formulating, finalizing, and funding a financial plan. All these things can be very time-intensive, and having a knowledgeable financial planner can contract or reduce those frustrating hours spent on do-it-yourself plans. A good financial planner will help to protect you against the greatest threat to your investment success, and that is emotional barriers. The greatest threat to most investors is not the sequence of returns, risk, recessions, or market volatility. The greatest threat to most investors is the investor themselves. Even long-term investors who have extensive experience with market cycles are not immune to these emotions and may exit the market at exactly the wrong time. In some instances, this can be a costly mistake that cannot always be corrected. The reason many older investors exit the market at the worst time is due to the fear of being older and closer to retirement. These older investors are fearful of losing a lifetime of savings in a downturn close to retirement. 
so they sell near a market bottom and miss the eventual recovery. This behavior is especially harmful because advancing age limits their ability to recover from these mistakes. Their investing lifetime becomes shorter each year. A good financial planner can also help you to maximize opportunity and to mitigate losses. Planners have the necessary background and knowledge because they keep abreast of the latest laws and market conditions. They use this financial background to recognize financial opportunities that will be of benefit to their clients. Unlike their fearful clients, financial planners are not attached emotionally or otherwise to your money and so they can act much more impartially when market conditions go south. And current poor market conditions won't force them to abandon a well-thought-out investment strategy. On the retiringwithenough.com website, in the Do You Need an Advisor blog, I list a chart by J.P. Morgan that shows the 20-year annualized return by asset class, which means if you would have used different investment techniques over a 20-year period, what would your returns have been? So over this period from 1998 to 2017, real estate investment trusts, REITs, actually produced the best return with an annualized return of 9.1%. From there, it goes to gold with a 7.8%, S&P 500 with a 7.2%, 60-40 portfolio with a 6.4%, and down the line, all the way to the right end, where it shows the average investor receiving a 2.6 annualized return. How can that be so? Over the last 20 years, the average investor returned an annualized return of 2.6%, when the S&P 500 returned 7.2%. The 4.6% difference between the S&P 500 and the average investor is actually the result of poor stock picking and, even worse, market timing. People sell when the market is low and then try and get back in when the market goes back up again And as a result, they miss out on all the returns they would have received if they would have only stayed invested the whole time. So financial advisors can provide many benefits by proper asset location and allocation, rebalancing, strategic cash flow management, and tax planning. Most of these techniques and strategies are unknown or unfamiliar to the common investor. We spoke before about emotional benefits of engaging a financial planner, but there are other emotional benefits such as shifting the burden of planning and implementing of a retirement plan to a professional that can provide immense emotional benefits. The pressure of being successful in retirement planning can be a heavy burden for a non-professional consumer trying to plan for retirement. Most people will sleep better knowing that they are not responsible for their own financial well-being after retirement. Most planners can provide benefits and guidance to investors who wish to tilt their investments based on moral or social guidelines. These are called ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governance Funds, and they specifically invest in stocks that are of interest to certain groups of investors. And of course, 
accountability. A financial planner can act like a personal trainer or a life coach. Instead of providing information about exercise, food, or proper sleep habits, a financial planner can provide information on proper financial well-being. And just like a life coach or a personal trainer, a good financial planner will monitor each client's financial behavior and inform them when they are moving away from their proper guidelines. So that's good stuff. What are the disadvantages of engaging a financial planner? You may or may not give up some peace of mind. Transferring management of retirement assets to a financial planner means transferring control. The client must trust the wisdom and judgment of the portfolio manager and financial planner. Since portfolio updates are usually provided semi-annually or annually, then you end up with some decreased awareness of where your portfolio balance is on a daily basis or on a continuous basis, and that can become a source of apprehension instead of a source of comfort. There can be potential conflicts of interest. A planner, as I stated before, may not always be a fiduciary advisor and may only be held to the suitability standard, which dictates that an investment only be suitable but not necessarily in the best interest of the client. This can create conflicts of interest where two or more different suitable investments provide different levels of financial gain for the advisor. The temptation, obviously, is for the advisor to recommend the suitable investment that provides the best financial incentive or commission to the advisor, not necessarily the most appropriate investment for the client. And then, of course, there are costs and fees. The advisor fee structure may not be clear or apparent, so in many cases it's hard to know exactly how much a person is being charged for advisory services. Advisors also tend to charge a higher percentage for smaller dollar amounts under management. That doesn't exactly make sense, but the smaller account holders tend to pay a higher percentage of portfolio balances for management, and this occurs at the time when their need is to have every dollar fully invested. The question account holders must evaluate is, do the fees charged by financial planners create value in excess of portfolios that are self-managed. But in the final analysis, I think the best assessment is whether each person feels comfortable managing their own assets that will be needed in retirement or whether they feel better delegating that asset management to a financial planner. So here's my thoughts because I've done it both ways. All of the financial guidance and information that I read says that self-directed and self-managed funds will, over the long haul, beat managed funds because managed funds have to overcome that extra percentage that you pay for management. As a do-it-yourself investor, I've had many years' experience doing my own portfolio management and my own portfolio creation, asset location, and asset allocation. Not wanting to get out over my skis too much, I've also had periods where I had assets under management and had managed bond funds and managed stock funds. 
I really didn't see a, a big difference in the return potential for doing it either way, being do-it-yourself or having assets under management. But just in terms of clarity, I, I really need to admit that I didn't do it over, say, a, a 10-year period. It was more of, a, say, a five-year time span, and that may not be enough to, to really adequately determine which is better or which is worse. I think to do that and to do it properly, you would have to evaluate both over a total economic cycle and see which way, which plan works better under all and, and very different economic conditions. And I also have to admit that after a lifetime of self-education and 50 years of investing experience, I feel pretty comfortable managing my own portfolio. Not everyone may feel that way and may may not want to dedicate the time and the effort needed to educate themselves about investing and and the time and effort needed to create and maintain a portfolio. Many people may not be comfortable self-directing their assets during retirement when you can't really afford to make a lot of mistakes, or you may not even want to dedicate the time needed to prepare a comprehensive plan and to manage it over time in retirement. Hey, look, I totally get it. Retirement should be a time of joy and happiness. You made it. You crossed the finish line, and you won the race. Why burden yourself with the unnecessary problems if you don't have to? I guess there's a corollary that could be made between mowing your own grass and managing your own finances. Someone may understand the technical aspects of mowing their own grass, but doesn't own a lawnmower. Another person may own a lawnmower, but not know how to start it. People may have a basic understanding of finance and even possess an understanding of some basic tools like portfolio construction, but don't have a mastery of the process. They may have a financial lawnmower, but they can't mow their financial grass. They need the help of a financial lawn service, what we would call a financial planner. I understand how a house is constructed. I worked at a building materials company in my youth, and I spent a lot of time around construction sites and speaking with builders. But does that mean that I understand how to build a house, or would I want to manage all the details that are incorporated in building a home? Are my knowledge base and skills comparable to or equal to a certified building contractor? Let me think about that one for just a second. Uh, no. But I will tell you now about one of my own personal concerns, and that is retirement and cognitive decline. As every person ages and gets older, their cognitive abilities and their abilities to make adequate decisions goes into decline. For some people, that happens early. For some people, it happens later in, in their aging process, but no one can tell ahead of time when that process will occur. According to the American Association of Individual Investors, AAII, cognitive decline and cognitive impairment affect approximately half of all 80-year-olds. Retirees who engage a financial planner have someone to manage accounts and make appropriate funding and distribution decisions. Large fund companies like Vanguard, Fidelity, and Schwab have already placed some basic firewalls and safeguards on accounts to protect their clients from the effects of cognitive decline on account balances. Requests for password reset and repeated errors in account manipulation will raise flags with all three of these companies. 
So it's safe to say that these same companies don't assume responsibility for poor decisions and mistakes due to cognitive decline, but they've at least put these safeguards in place, and they're better than nothing. At least they have a starting point for this process. Cognitive decline is difficult to diagnose in the early stages, and for most people, it's a gradual process that may not be obvious until later stages, and that's when the problems occur. As we age, the mistakes and decline tend to become more evident. So am I saying that everyone needs a financial planner? Not really. What I'm saying is that every person or every family approaching retirement needs to prepare in the best way possible for retirement. We've only got one chance. Everyone gets one life and one chance to make that life the best one possible. I can't tell you what will be the best decision for your particular circumstances. But I can tell you what I'm doing personally. Right now, I'm self-directing my portfolio, and, and I'll probably continue to do that as long as I feel comfortable that the correct decisions are being made. But I've also taken preliminary steps to ensure that accounts will be properly managed if I'm unable to continue managing my accounts competently. And what about if something happens to me? What would my wife do? Over all the years of my investing life and our life together, I've handled most of the financial arrangements and most of the financial decisions. And so she's never really had to deal with any of these things. And I would hazard a guess that she wouldn't really feel comfortable managing all these things alone if I wasn't here to help her. So I've developed a relationship with a certified financial planner, my wife's meeting. And at some point in the near future, I'm going to allow him to manage a portion of my portfolio. I've also taken steps to familiarize my wife with our total financial picture. As I stated before, she's a passive investment partner, and she prefers that I handle all the financial matters. But I have taken steps to ensure that she's comfortable with and aware of all account types and locations. This is critically important for the non-investing partner because at some point, total management or total control of all the accounts may be left to that person singularly. At some point, I may be subject to cognitive decline, or even worse, I may be no longer alive. Empirical data indicates that I will precede her in death, so I don't want to leave her uninformed and unprepared. These things are hard to discuss and hard to approach with a loved one, but these are the realities of life. And, and I'd much rather leave a loved one prepared for these eventualities beforehand. For me, it's one of the best forms of love. And now some final thoughts. Financial advisors may or may not act in clients' best interest, depending on whether they are acting in a fiduciary capacity or operating under the suitability standard. Financial advisors encompass a large field that includes insurance agents, bankers, certified financial planners, and CPAs. Good financial planners can create value for their clients in a number of ways. One of the most valuable functions of a good financial planner is to protect clients from making bad financial decisions during periods of emotional stress. But there are also disadvantages to engaging a financial planner. Probably the biggest disadvantage is a planner may not always function in a fiduciary capacity and he may not operate in the best interest of a client. The question of engaging a financial advisor or self-managing investments ultimately becomes a question of what will make each person 
most comfortable in retirement. Cognitive decline is a real problem for retirees as they advance in age. Having an honest and reputable financial planner can mediate the negative effects of financial decline and cognitive decline on investment portfolios. My next podcast will discuss the secret weapon of wealth building. That happens to be workplace 401ks, but we'll discuss them next time. And I always say this after each podcast, but I really, truly mean it. I want to thank everyone for taking time out of their busy days to listen to this podcast. Until next time, thanks. If you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to leave a review. And if you want to partake in an online conversation, be sure to search for the Retiring with Enough group on Facebook. Thanks. The information and opinions contained on this podcast are for general education and are considered general communications. Information on the podcast was obtained from various sources, and Retiring with Enough does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information presented. Retiring with Enough strongly recommends that you perform your own independent research and or speak with a qualified investment professional, legal advisor, or tax professional before making any financial decisions. The information and opinions expressed should not be construed as financial planning and does not consider the economic status or risk profile of any specific person, nor does it constitute an offer to buy or sell securities.